close. My guest today is Christine Hall. Christine has advocated for the arts her whole life. Raised in a trailer at the edge of the Adirondacks by cultist pornographers and troubadours, inculcated with American mythology, tool girl calendars, Bible stories, science fiction, Christine built on this education while hitching rides across the continent. She's hosted Poetry in the Brew for eight years, curated Studio 66, facilitated Muse X Bazaar Community Arts Center, and most recently participated in the public grants editing process with Metro Arts. As a poet and performing artist, she has appeared in a multitude of venues, including Exit Inn, TSU, Third Man Records, Vanderbilt Divinity School, Scarrett Bennett Center, and Oz Arts. Editor of the Sinew Poetry Anthology, Christine is now at home in the Nashville arts community, helping creative voices come together for common goals. What's up, Christine? Oh, yeah. Hello, Doug. Thank you. Adirondacks. That's a... Uh, is that like a... New York? Am I guessing? Yeah, upstate. Yes, the great upstate. <laughs> I'm glad I my second guess would have been Canada. I don't I knew it was oh, up, I knew it was high up or north. We're I mean. up there. Yeah, yeah. It was. I could almost touch Canada. I could I could see it. No. <laughs> could you, uh, yeah. Near, is that near Montreal? Uh, we went to Montreal sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, it was in the Lake George resort area. I lived in a resort town in a trailer. We were actually sandwiched between a lake resort and a ski resort. And I really never participated in any of the activities involved. But, you know, loved, loved the mountains and the streams and the wild berries. Yeah, but I, I want to I'd, I'd love to see some of I've only been to the city and uh-huh. I've, I'd love to see some of New York uh, outside of that city because that's yeah. is that. Here's here's a dumb question. I mean, I'm not not to just go be going to. And I know we have things to talk about besides geography and my real lack of a grasp on it. Is that where are the where are the cat skills? Is that New York? Yes. yes okay. Yes. All right. Yes. Yeah, the <laughs> farm. I remember going there and seeing uh, giraffes when I was little. There's a picture of me and my sister, who you know, Abigail, there in front of the giraffes at the Catskill Game Center. But yeah, not the. Uh, Country in upstate New York is gorgeous. Like, you know, like country is. It reminds me of Tennessee, which is maybe why I feel so at home here. There's lots and lots of beautiful nature, creeks yeah. and streams and mountains and glorious green things. Yeah. Yeah. I have a I have a dream to eventually climb all the mountains in this country. So what? That's well, a big I'm, dream. I'm really far behind too. I've only climbed one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to I want to walk the Appalachian Trail, but I'm going to wait like till my 90s when I skydive. I, I want I'm saving that stuff yeah. so I can really commit <laughs> my entire being to it and not be distracted by anything else I have going on. There's a country song about that. I don't I typically cannot listen to a country song all the way through, but there's one that I kind of like. It's a, it's a dude. Uh, I don't know. It, it could be anybody. I don't know the names of any of these guys, but that's the whole song is that he like he gets like a, a cancer uh diagnosis and so that he decides to start living life to the fullest and so the whole mm-hmm. song is about literally just all he just starts doing everything that's great in life and he's like i hiked the Appalachian trail i went skydiving i went surfing and i was like you know it, it has a good message for a country song a lot of those songs are like i got fucked up drunk in my truck 
Right. <laughs> That's another. That, that maybe brings the death closer, but when when we're leave, living life, at least, yeah. yeah. It, it, I, I'm, I'm probably giving this dude too much credit. The rest of that album is probably being like Donald Trump oh. won the election, and uh, you, I'm, I got my high powered rifle. You'll pry it out of my dead hands. Anyway, sorry, Adirondacks. No, no, that's I mean, from. Like, we don't know. We don't know, but let's not pigeonhole because, like, even yeah. in country, like every genre, I hate to say there's an exception, but there's something exceptional, and the soul shines through whatever medium, whatever art we're speaking. I mean, there's some things that are commercialized and follow that template, and then there's others that break the formula and really break through. Yeah, well, and also I mean, there's there's like country contains like a multitude of kind of like subgenres because like I'm not a huge fan of willie nelson but i'm like a fan of like who he is he just seems like a kind of a rad dude i don't know same, yeah, thing, same thing with johnny cash i don't really listen to his music but i like i like his vibe does that make sense yeah. well the man in black certainly you can yeah. relate to that <laughs> yeah oh because i'm yeah. wearing all black <laughs> and i usually am um so anyway it sounds like you had a, a unique experience growing up uh, oh it was so weird well so I mean, the, the trailer thing is not weird. I've known a lot of people that uh, grew up in a trailer, but like troubadours, so what is, isn't it? I mean, that sounds like something from like uh, medieval times. Yeah, <laughs> it felt like that. We were really out of sync with everything around us is how I felt. I've always felt like I was on the fringes of the fringe because we would be part of this fringe group, but then I would be on the fringe of the fringe group for other reasons. So, you know, we yeah. were raised in the cult Jehovah's Witnesses, but by heritage, I'm a Jew. So at a Jewish table, here I am named Christine after Christ, my mother's acceptance of Christ as her savior. But then at the Christian table, well, my parents were pornographers and they never really lost their you know, wild flavor. So we didn't fit in there either. We're supposed to be no part of the world, but then we're no part of their world either. And so we made up our own. And I guess that's what artists do. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know how to put this in, into words. Uh, I I've put it into words uh, better in other times in my life. But like I told you before we got started, I'm like I've got such a sleep deprivation thing going where like it's like trying to dredge even just like the simplest like phrase out of my mind right now is. But it's uh, a belief that I have that like, and I think I'm not the only person to say this that artists are kind of like the antenna to our society. Mm. You know, so yeah, yeah. It's like uh, you know, when society is sick, mm. artists are the ones that let us know first. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Um, we do the forecasting for sure. And then the broadcasting as well. You're right about that. Um, there is a bit of catalyst in the telling of the message too. It's always filtered through each of our own views. My views are my own. <laughs> I, I think that you're right on though. We are receptive and then we project as well. So yeah, a bit of a transformative position to be in. It's pivotal for sure. And that's part of the reason why it's so powerful. And also, you know, <laughs> we get these destructive messages and impulses and have this choice. We can choose how we process that information and turn it into something creative. Talking yeah. about just the most awful, icky things in you know a way that actually sparks togetherness and pushes us to move through and past that yeah and artists get that um <clears throat> that stereotype like rap of like oh uh these people people are so sensitive i've had that said to me my whole life like you're so sensitive uh -huh. about this but it's like you know what uh 
we're all human and like people that, you know, shut themselves down to uh, their feelings and emotions and don't like find a creative outlet. That's, it's going to come out some other way. And it's probably gonna come out in a bad way. You, that's how you end up like, where I think where a lot of violence comes from is the people that like, I don't want to go down this road and I, I won't go very far, but you know, like a lot of like the, the toxic masculinity issue in America is like, you're not supposed to cry. You're not supposed to feel, you're not supposed to, you know, do anything. And then next thing you know, you're in fucking jail. <laughs> oh my goodness right no this genuine connection it's so important we talk about these extremist groups these factions and what identifies the people who are vulnerable to that just as i know watching my family be involved in a cult and then extract themselves from that people are looking for that identity they're looking for that sense of community they're looking for that purpose when we're disconnected from ourselves our true our true feelings i mean we are so susceptible to the destructive impulses everything's so bound up it's gonna pop out somewhere so we need these sanctioned spaces for expression they are not just transformative but they are so important to compassion to be able to empathize with another person's point of view and also to be informed about that because so much of the hate yes it comes from ignorance as soon as you hear someone's story you understand where they're coming from and how they made the decisions how they're in the situation and we know that if we had their dna and we lived in their environment and had their experiences there's no way we would have made a different choice and that's hard to accept when we look at certain pictures from the outside it's so much easier to just judge them them. But if you immerse yourself in that viewpoint, whether through a point of view that's available to us through a work of art or just by sitting down and talking to someone, you can't come away with the same take. You just can't. Yeah. And, you know, we will get into this, of course, uh, later in the podcast. But uh, I, so many things always circle back to education. It's impossible to ignore that. And we will talk about, like, you know, arts, arts and education, how it's uh how it's ignored, how or, you know, it's not necessarily ignored, but how it's not prioritized. And mm. I don't want to go out, I mean, on too far on a limb here, you know, I'm just speculating and just trying to say that what I'm, you know, because I don't know, I'm not a scientist and I haven't conducted studies on this, but I feel like some of these people potentially, if they had been really exposed to like art and creativity as like, and been taught that it was important, they might've been able to get some of these things out in a healthier way. You know, making some music, making some visual art, uh, dance. There's all you know. There's a million different things you can do, and you might even still have some fucked up beliefs, but you don't necessarily have to act on them in a, in a violent way. Maybe just make make a rage comic or something. <laughs> right, <laughs> creating the space for the outlet, and certainly, you know, there's a lot of question about the content of art that comes out and what the effect of it is. Not necessarily everything needs to be shared far and wide. Some of that is just part of the process. And we can go through some very ugly stages and we can say some very ugly things. But if we're not allowed to make those mistakes, you know, we're never going to hit upon the brilliance, upon the truth, upon the thing that is, you know, fully vetted and ready to be shared. And in Indeed, the thing that is the consensus among humanity, that common interest in the common good. I mean, we can elevate the discourse by having the discourse. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, we are going to get into so many of these uh, topics, like, and just as, but do you mind, you mind, I have to ask you before we get started talking about like arts equity and so many of these important topics, I have one, maybe like kind of a personal question, but it's in, it's in your bio. And so I'm not going uh, <laughs> to, who I am, I cannot skip this. Uh, hitchhiking across the continent 
I was just curious, and it's totally fine if 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 you don't have any tales to tell, but if you maybe had any hitchhiker tales or maybe even just like a little hitchhiking anecdote, because I know that there's so many crazy adventures that happens when a person uh I've I've known a lot of people that have done it and some of the most insane stories in my I've ever heard have all come from the uh the hitchhiking train hopping style lifestyle. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could also say no comment. <laughs> oh no I mean I I don't mind sharing bits like this at all whether that's wise or not honesty is important to me and I I I mean, yeah, we all, we all have those stories. Give us pause, a little bit embarrassing, but also yeah. just, ah, I'm a bit freewheeling anyway. I've got to yeah. say <laughs> I might go hitchhiking today for all I know. Yeah, probably not. I'm a mom. You're a dad now. We might, you know, yeah. make different choices since we're responsible to someone else. But I, one of one of my fun stories for me, it's just a little one, and it wasn't me as the hitchhiker at this time. Um, when I did start hitching across the continent, the first thing that drew me was from Nashville to San Francisco after a girl I was in love with. But before that, I was on a road trip with that girl, skipping my last year of high school, most of it. We went down to Galveston, Texas to see another mutual friend's crush. And on the way, we stopped in New Orleans. And right outside, we were driving and we saw someone with long blonde hair and a guitar case on their back, right? We're like, pull over, pick her up. So it was a hippie dude who hadn't bathed in quite a while. And the guitar case was full of clothes, not a guitar. So not the image that we necessarily, yeah, our impression wasn't correct there we had a good ride down to Galveston it was a cool time I might have that reversed I might have picked him up on the way to New Orleans back from Galveston regardless about a year later after I hitched to San Francisco and I was on the most magnificent acid trip of my life I ran into that same person on hate wow. street <laughs> yeah, talk about trippy. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fantastic hitchhiking anecdote Thank you. Christine. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, just like I guess like a little bit, just so people know, like kind of where we're coming from. When we when we got this uh, episode started, uh, you were kind enough to invite me to some Metro Town Hall meetings uh, that I was unable to attend. So, we're just going to go kind of do like our own town hall uh, here on the podcast. I mean, so to speak, cool. uh, and just like like I said, and we're talking arts equity, and obviously we're talking about Nashville, but. A lot of this is the same kind of stuff that affects every community everywhere in some way. And you were the first one to say that to me when I was asking, like, did you think that this was a little the scope wasn't large enough because we're talking about Nashville? And you're like, well, these this is, for, you know, for everyone. So. Right. Well, yeah, we only knew what was going to happen here because it's a pattern that's repeated itself, not just around the country, but around the world. Even, you know, colonialism and imperialist <laughs> tendencies have repeated the same thing, capitalizing, exploiting, hollowing out, and then it collapses and we've got to start all over again. And it's like, are we going to break the cycle? I've yeah. been watching Nashville, you know, since I was a teenager and and I remember saying, ooh, you know, the city smells like it's coming awake. And it sure did. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I always like to use 
the reference of the Zacks, the Dr. Seuss story. I know he had some issues too, <laughs> some of which he apologized for. Regardless, though, the parable of the <laughs> Zacks, two people that came and met each other, they were going opposing directions. You got to read this one to your kids someday. <laughs> But they yeah. stopped facing each other and neither one will move. And they built a highway system around them and a whole city around them. And a lot of times, yeah, I feel like I'm I'm watching that happen. And I wonder why we haven't engaged in more conscientious urban planning. But then I go and I look at the historicity of it and it makes sense. This was by intention. We did specifically call in some groups while barring others from the table. And we're dealing with the long-term effects of that without even in some cases being able to legally address that or talk about that or yeah. in schools to teach about it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And they are very mask off uh, in the Tennessee government here expelling uh Justin from uh from state congress for uh protesting with like with the uh with the kids for the you know after the school shooting right. and people being like and you know this all white body of government you know expelling like the only two uh black guys in there for just marching with their constituents pretty insane mm -hmm. although uh you know I think what's amazing is that you know it put them on a national podium it's you know they were in the White House uh, meeting with the president after that. So uh, I guess <laughs> some of these Ku Klux Klan uh, state representatives we have really kind of fucked themselves on that. So good. But <laughs> yeah, they post themselves. They put the starkness of the injustice on a world stage there. And so, yeah, I mean, they're doing themselves and everyone a disservice by barring the people's voice from the people's house. We're talking about representation in government, in, you know, in our entertainment and out here in our city. Like, what are we looking at here? Does it actually serve the people or does it serve the tourists? Are, are we carrying on this, you know, imperialist mentality? What's going on here? Yeah. So yeah, so I'm so glad to have you here because like I feel like I just wanted to bring it back to like to the hometown, you know. Because when I first started this podcast, a lot of like my guests were people that were from here because I was just hitting up homies, you know. I mean, like, yo, I got a podcast, let's do this. And oh, then I kind of cool. I feel like kind of like you know I drifted away to farther lands, but you know I do want to bring it back, especially like <clears throat> you know when I first started this, like like you know people like shouted out for me. I, I got like a uh, best podcast and on the Nashville scene that year, and I was yeah. like that's dope and you know like that. yeah that was well, that was a crazy summer that was speaking of more of like our you know this what we're up against here that was during the blm protests at the you know the peak of it and yeah. i was out there at the protest and it was like it was awesome man being in a crowd like it's like i think there were like ten thousand people there the, the one day i was there but yeah. the thing that we were at like the, the the big ask that the people that organized that was that the state government would remove the statue of the founder of the Ku Klux Klan from like the foyer of the Capitol. Like it's such a small thing to ask. And after two, two weeks consecutively with 10,000 protesters in the streets, they took the statue and just moved it to a different government building. It was just like it, kind of an atrocity. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, taking, I'm taking this down. A, no, a no. I love having this conversation with you. I, yeah, the back and forth of this, especially right between two white presenting people, not just yeah. presenting. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at myself in the Zoom right now. I'm like, I'm like glowing white because I'm, I, have, I have a window open in front of me. 
I mean, yeah. So as a Jewish woman who wasn't even raised in the Jewish faith, I have such a disconnected perspective on a lot of this. I feel like I was dropped into the middle. You know, I came to the South from as a Yankee and I, some of it just seems so obvious to me and it's horrific. Um, like I, I wrote a poem about the first time we landed in Tennessee, stopping at a little country market, the kind, you know, with the rocking chairs on the porch and somebody whittling wood even like this is real, you know, yeah. and going in just being horrified by all <laughs> of the rebel flags on display. I'm like, that's a battle flag. These conversations that we're still having, it's amazing the insular quality of some of this, the confirmation bias that exists in certain circuits. Because as soon as you open your worldview to someone else's perspective, all that dissolves and we see we have more in common. And it's just going through these paces again and again, reaching people's hearts again and again, making that direct eye contact. Because really so often I see the true human connection made when someone actually opens themselves up to it. But there is so much fear out there. And I understand by seeing in practice that that loss of privilege looks like oppression. People are so entrenched in their positions and it just becomes a back and forth rather than some sort of genuine function that reflects the quality of life and the content of our life. Uh, during the BLM protests, I that was when I was still hosting poetry in the brew. So we collaborated with poetry in the borough and did a spoken word event called Black Voices Matter. And just that sort of exercise to be able to say that when people say, okay, what, what about the specificity? You know, isn't that exclusionary as well? Okay, we're talking about voices here who have for so long and by design been relegated to the fringes. We're all missing out from this holistic it's it just we need we need to bring together by design so much of this has been segregated and certainly there are unique needs for every community we need to be able to talk about these and address it and the first way to do that is being willing to listen yeah you made me think too <clears throat> when you said you first moved here seeing all the rebel flags and being like oh no man like <laughs> what a you know and people think that like oh that it's different like in the 90s or something and like it's changed and that is like not at all the case i uh like yeah. i live you know five minutes from downtown you know i'm like i don't live in the country depend like, my neighborhood's very weird like it's very like it's so mixed match because there's like expensive houses and then like you know cheap houses and then like a lot of community like different community like ethnicity communities and stuff but there's also just like a ton of like the craziest like jug hooting white supremacists that like also live here and like I like there's a street I don't go down it very often, but I walk down it with my you know when I want to walk my dog kind of extra far. And this is like one house, and they yeah they've got rebel flags and you know shit like that, but they have flags hanging off the house. I don't even know what they mean, but I know they're bad. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know those ones like like like, the, like have like they have like runes, and you know it's just some kind of Aryan Brotherhood thing. It's spooky. Yeah. <laughs> exploitation of these and the perversion of these symbols too which were age-old touchstones pitting one culture against the other i mean oh oh goodness more imperialism i i just the idea that we would try to encroach on anyone else's space the idea that 
we would need to tolerate any kind of ethos that says we need to exclude someone else. I mean, the catch 22 of that, but it becomes obvious in practice who's allowing space for other people to live and express and who isn't. And yeah, yeah, we got to get I, together. You know, I feel like now is as, as good a time as any. We kind of we talked about this a little bit before we were on mic, but uh, just an academic term that you introduced me to because you, you sent me some literature to kind of get a, like a little bit better of understanding of what you're doing and stuff for everyone that's unfamiliar with the term, which I was, uh, can you explain what the Croson effect is? I, I knew what it was yesterday. <laughs> yeah. I, I've got it right in front of me. And I, I will say that I am not necessarily the one to explain the Croson effect. What I know is that in a lot of cases, right, this legislation has been so entrenched that, First, you know, we have the Jim Crow laws and we have all the effects of racial seg segregation and the ways that we came out of slavery. But then on top of that, you know, we have people going and saying that we can't remediate this. We can't pass laws or that affirmative action is actually the unfair thing and that you have to put any remedy in such a narrow legal definition, show the specific harm that was been done and show the specific redress that is necessary in this context. And these very narrow, you know, parameters that we can operate within. So it becomes a need to look and see oh, okay, well, this community was cut off in this manifest way, for instance, by the highway being built and cutting them off or redlining or there's all these effects that disadvantage some communities by design, but we yeah. can't necessarily so easily legislate by design to address these issues. And that's a deep concern. But the remedy that many have come up with now that we're starting to see in certain places is, oh, the solutions can come from the communities themselves. And this addresses first the problem that exists. And yeah. also, yeah, on another level, it's moving people from communities that have been kept marginalized, minority peoples, putting them in positions of leadership where we're listening to them. So not only do they have the answer for the other problem, but we're answering the issue of, well, we need to listen to these communities. So we're listening to them. And at the same time, what a boon, we're getting the solutions to the problems that we as a country built by design. Yeah. Actually, one of the most affected uh, neighborhoods in Nashville by like some of that freeway uh, intersection stuff is also currently probably one of the places in Nashville where I think the where there's the best art, you know, like community art coming up. And that's over by, like, you know, where, like, like Slim and Huskies and uh, Fisk and like all that stuff over there. Yeah. I like I love just going over there. This is a little uh, skate, skate spot I like to go to. And I also like to eat at Slim and Husky. So I get over there pretty frequently and yeah. they like. They're really, man, the, the whole neighborhood just looks great because the art is uh, encouraged and it's from the community and it's not that corporate shit that they do downtown. <laughs> no, okay. no offense. Uh, no, I, no, I have uh, so many. It's a corporate art, but yeah, I, I, I know a guy, he's a, he's a corporate artist and a lot of his work is downtown and I, I won't name any names, but I just really feel like a lot of what he does is just so soulless and they're like, mm -hmm. <laughs> they're like, Make something that will make won't make anyone feel anything, but right. we can say we have public art. 
<laughs> right. So it won't upset anyone, but it's not going to move anyone to action either. It's not going to necessarily open a mind or change a mind or introduce a new concept at all. I, if that's what we call public safety, I don't know, because clearly our public policies are not safe for many of our minority communities. Um, yeah, I think that, yes, it's very important to source community art from within the community. I wonder sometimes about these large contracts for public art that get sourced to artists from other cities. Certainly, I love the exchange. That's great. Yeah. But if the concern is that we don't have artists who are able to manage a project of that size, why are we not cultivating that ability within our own community? We're just reinforcing the same issue then over and over again, being exclusionary. Uh, one thing about North Nashville though, they do have a grant over there. There's the Arthur Avenue underpass, right? That's yeah. um, so super low, super dark. Um, in the book, The Power Broker, they talk about how some of these bridges that came in with the interstate highway system that cut off these neighborhoods were also built so low that public transit couldn't even pass underneath them right so they're yeah. so effectively cutting off these communities in so many ways you know oh goodness double down on the segregation it's it's egregious really and the idea being just as with the education, if we're not talking, if we can't read these books, if we ban these books, if we cut off these neighborhoods, we're not even going to see the issues, right? We're protecting the white purity here, right? We don't have to see the issues that we ourselves created. We don't have to engage with them. Okay, so at the Arthur Avenue underpass where it's super dark and super low, they have a grant now and it's being led by someone from within the community. The lead artist is M. Simone Boyd and they're going to do an incredible lighting installation. It's going to be informed by the community. Yes, they're sourcing some artists from outside of Nashville, but the lead on this project is from that neighborhood. That's so important. It's going to be so valuable and transformative to that area, reconnecting, giving them a platform for voice, putting them on the national stage, which is also important, not just for the issue that exists, but the available solution and how beautiful that can be. What a triumph and what an achievement. And yeah, we need to resource this. We need to fund these projects, not just to redress the wrong, but because it provides so much opportunity for so many people and benefit for our entire city, for any city that does a project like this. Yeah. I, uh, I actually just so happened, uh, I, uh, helped with a project that was based on uh, kind of the, that that specific neighborhood in North Nashville. I went around doing photography of all of the uh, freeways, uh, a lot of the like on ramps and things like that that had been a uh, historic site. So there'll be like something like this was once a like let's say like it was a a church, but it was like a like you know massive community hub. You know this is where people met, and decisions got made or other types of like thriving businesses and what it is now it's like it's like these just you know it's almost like a desert so it's just a massive space of concrete that's uh you know serves no purpose other than to like facilitate the interstate and all of that was put there you know there was there was a they were they premeditated that they didn't they didn't accidentally chop up this black neighborhood and destroy all these historic sites because it just happened to be the most, the best for interstates. The interstate could have gone anywhere, 
are you, do, are you familiar with some of like what, what was, you know, kind of destroyed in the North Nashville area by the interstate system? I know that there were all sorts of venues and neighborhoods. I know that when the highways system was constructed, it displaced a million people, 400,000 plus households. Um, I specific examples of the cultural gems that were lost in North Nashville. I couldn't call those out. I'm oh, yeah. not. Yeah, two, two minute I, account anyway. Have, I'm one of those person you put me on the spot. Tell me your favorite musical artist. Oh like, my oh. god, I'm actually about to put you on the spot anyway right now. Uh, sure. I, I hope you don't mind. But this was a question I wanted to ask you, and I think now is because like this is a good segue because we're talking about public art. Um, I think you, but you might hate me because I'm going to put you on the spot a lot today. But uh, I just <laughs> wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you how how would you rank Nashville in terms of public art? And that's saying like uh, so like the absolute best city for art that you, you've ever seen or been to would be a right. 100. And let's say like a place like Mar-a-Lago is like a zero. So where does Nashville <laughs> fall on that scale? Ha ha ha. So we're pretty <laughs> low, unfortunately. Um, We're doing better with all these murals, especially in North Nashville. That is amazing. Yeah. Um, The North Nashville Arts Coalition, uh, that yeah, they're doing a lot of important work, and I mean, I yeah. So I will use re reference point of San Francisco. I think that the percentage that they invest in their arts is one point four six percent of their entire budget. Um, it's it's a very art centric town, and Nashville we have the reputation for that, but our investment is point like oh 0.17 I think it's 0.17 um it's very low it's one sixth of one percent um of our total budget it's been flatlined for a couple decades and here you know we're going on this big arts town reputation and that's you know yeah. wonderful wonderful a lot of people think music <laughs> city not country music okay guess what that was actually the fist jubilee singers you know not everybody yeah. knew <laughs> we built our <laughs> reputation on the backs of artists but not just artists minorities like so many people you know the labor that we sourced or oh goodness the culture that we rely on here we are raiding you know and then not giving credit and not reinvesting in our roots and that's a real concern another city that doesn't invest nearly enough is LA. And that's the thing, the parody between LA and Nashville is we've got these really successful commercial, you know, entertainment businesses related to the arts. In LA, it's film, in Nashville, it's country music. And so we look at the for-profit sector and say, why do they need help? They don't need any help. Forgetting yeah. that there's all these other media yeah. that are suffering by this focus here on just what's making the loudest noise and just what's turning the biggest profit. When we see that one of the greatest marks between whether the effects that comes out in a neighborhood is either gentrification or revitalization is based on the quality of that art. Is it commercialized? Is it exploited? Or is it the fine arts? Is it the nonprofit sector? And these are the things that determine the value to the actual people who live in the community. Yeah. Absolutely. I was going to say this too. Like, so this is another thing that I had found in some of the, in some of the literature that you had sent me just discussing, like, and this is kind of in, in the gentrification realm. I had never really heard this before, but I guess it's a thing. And it says the, uh, that 
the arts and artists have been cited as factors contributing to the gentrification of uh, central city neighborhoods and the displacement of lower income residents. Can you explain how that concept is often false and how policymakers can more effectively incorporate the arts into uh, neighborhood planning uh, efforts? Right. So central to it is going to be listening to the communities, building those coalitions with the communities. So the nature of what determines the gentrification is who is it coming in? You know, are they listening to the people in the community? Are they respecting the culture already present, the nature of that community? Or are they imposing, right? Who, what's the audience? Who are they courting? Who are they serving? These are important questions that we don't often ask when we're just trying to turn a profit. But when we're looking at long-term investments, what's sustainable growth, what's regenerative growth, we're going to be investing in the people there and empowering them to lead in their own communities to generate their own solutions. We're going to be investing in nonprofit models in fine arts models. And no, you know, it's not like we're looking to ban arts businesses at all. Certainly, they have an important place to play. But in that throughput, the next big thing is coming from the roots. So it makes no sense to feed from the top down. Trickle down has already been disproven so many times, while at the same time, investing in those small community groups, those independent artists has proved out so many times to be of such wide ranging benefit. The growth potential there is unlimited, really. Yeah. You know, if you come from nothing, you can do anything and everything now we're not just talking about the resourcefulness of people who do so much with so little and what a good investment they've proven to be but that this is worthy to the character of our life and our living to the quality when we look around our neighborhoods what are we seeing who are we seeing are we dropping ourselves down in a giant food court in downtown nashville that could be any city on earth if not yeah. for the cowboy boots you know <laughs> or do we actually have genuine flavor <clears throat> from our town that is something that I it affects me so much about this city in particular is that you know it, and it's the the developers you know they've got a death grip on the city and it's becoming more and more and more uh, that any part of the city you're in you could be in any other city and it's indistinguishable. It's like kind of like you know I this is a thing that I was just I was uh, in New Orleans very recently. And I, every time I'm down there, I, when I look at the houses, I'm like, why can't we have that? Like, cause like they, like they paint their houses, like cool colors and pastels and every house looks different. And I feel like here, like every house, it's like the developers are like, okay, every house has to be gray. If it's not gray, it has to be like dark gray. And it has to, they all have to be the exact same shape and size. And it's, you know, it's kind of like, uh, kind of like a little soul crushing, you know, like, why can't we have, you know, why can't we have what New Orleans has with like, what's wrong with making houses look cool and funky and different. And your house looks different than your neighbor's house. I don't know. It's just, that's, no, I know that's yeah. a little off topic from what you're saying, but I don't is think it though? so at all. I mean, <clears throat> I think We're talking about the flavor and character of neighborhoods, the way yeah. our image, our representation, right? What, how we're showing ourselves, how we're serving our communities, all of, all the vibes, right? All the feels we get walking through the, the painted ladies in San Francisco, the the historic district in Savannah. These are places that spoke to my heart. 
I lived in these historic districts. I was the minority. And first by necessity because of economic status, but also that's always been where the interest has been for me. The dumbed down, soulless, homogenized, try to serve everybody and really serve nobody. I mean, from the very beginning, that was a turnoff for me. It turns my stomach. I just find no interest there. For the people who can break through that and still show out, I so much respect. Yeah. What we nurture and nourish, though, by respecting the vernacular of a town, of a neighborhood, of a community, of a culture, that's where the richness lies. You know, we're not just talking about for profit. Again, we're talking about our character and quality of life, our spirit, the integrity of our soul. Like these are real things you can feel when that's present, when a community has respected its roots and looked to redress its historical wrongs. These things show, you know, not just in the economic welfare, not just in the vibrancy of the arts district, which we don't even really have here in Nashville, but it shows in the general health. I mean, we know that there's long-term correlations between physical and mental health and the arts. These things have proven out and why we continue to look away and ignore this and think that we can just apply blanket solutions without individual consideration and recognition. It makes no sense to me. Yeah. And I, Okay, I'm gonna maybe maybe sound a little off topic, but I I think that I'm I think I'm kind of still on on the same uh, track we're on. When I just going back to gentrification, and then obviously there's a million things that are detrimental about it. <clears throat> but here's the thing that I think about, and this is just from my personal like experience in my neighborhood, which is being like heavily gentrified, and you know it's not all bad. It's like I don't care that someone maybe like put a McMansion nearby my house although it, this dickhead threw up a, a big mansion and raised the property taxes for everyone in the neighborhood and that's you know that's how they're forcing a lot of people out but at the same time i feel like these uh a lot of these like kind of rich yuppie people that are moving here to nashville like they don't know like what a good burrito is so what's happening is like all these like really good kind of like hole in the wall places that have great mexican food they're shutting down because everyone that you know works there is moving to another neighborhood or like, you know, they don't get enough business. And all these guys, you know, all these people over here throwing up McMansions, they all think like Chipotle is Mexican food. And I feel like, you know, if you go down that path long enough, it's like we're heading towards like a future where we all just go to a cafeteria line where we're all given like gray slop. And like, you know. Oh my goodness. By, yeah. by, like, it's, it's like uh, when you talk about the flavor, it's like in a way with their wealth, but like their lack of taste, they're just draining the flavor from society and culture and the neighborhood and everything does that make sense yeah no <laughs> I, I definitely prefer the more international neighborhood <laughs> in our town and certainly the businesses that are actually minority owned instead of just somebody's you know Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the gentrified chicken, for example, you know, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. Are you talking about, are you talking about Nashville hot chicken being this thing that's like nationwide now? And it's just like, oh, that's got <laughs> tension, right? <laughs> so, but what we're talking about, for instance, when I was at the most recent Metro Arts Commission meeting, we had a wonderful guest artist, Alex Wong, who had 
recently done a grants funded project and saying the song about permission, right? Permission to express and was talking specifically about how there's pro a proliferation of Asian American restaurants owned by white people here in Nashville. Right. And I was unaware of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Conscientious ways, you know, that we can make our choices to support and yeah. Do, to do you mean like, do you plan. mean like, like payway and like P.F. Chang's? Is that what you mean? Oh, not just that. No, <laughs> <laughs> not just that. Oh, my God. I, I'm, I am going to call out because this is, you know, someone who's got some national attention. Uh, international market has always been one of my favorites. That was an institution down on Belmont. Me and too. then. Yeah. Okay. So in my case, that was pretty much where I ate lunch every single day for maybe like my entire teenage years, probably, <laughs> probably from like 15 to 20. That's where I ate lunch. Okay, <laughs> Before, and so, then I moved out of yeah. Nashville for a while. It's affordable and it's exciting. There's always something, you know, to learn and discover. Right. And you yeah. can, Oh goodness. The ways that there are to respectfully engage and support and to benefit at the same time. Right. So carry on that conversation in a way where we're not imposing, right? <laughs> where it is like a, a truly mutually beneficial exchange. So yeah, when that place, it was bought out by Belmont, right? And then Patty meant the owner passed, but her children opened up a place across the street, International Market too, right? And that's become one of our new favorite places. And I was Arnold unaware of that. Okay, so, so I don't, I don't, I don't live in the village anymore, so I don't ever get uh, over there. Uh, yeah, okay, well, he's an awesome chef. Um, he was on Top Chef even once. I, I but regardless, yeah. amazing, talented chef, Ty himself, and you yeah. know, it, it's yeah, it's wonderful to be able to benefit from that richness in our community from people who you know have been here for a long time and have chosen to stay with us. And oh my goodness, that. Yeah, it's such a boon. It's such a gift, not just to the economy, but right, enriching our palate, enriching our experience. And we can make these simple choices. We can vote with our dollars. And that's a great thing to do. It's so rewarding on so many levels. I was going to ask you, uh, like, going back to what you just said about uh, when you went and I think you, you gave uh, like a little um, uh, speech when you were at the at the Metro Council meeting. Am I correct? Yeah, I think, I think I saw a clip, but I uh, I don't know the full speech. I was going to ask. This is like a two part question, if that's okay with you. Mm -hmm. It's going to be like just a uh, one is just what are the types of outcomes you hope to see? Uh, like you know when you invite arts and cultural strategies into the practice of community de development. Will you ask me that one one more time, please? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I, I might have worded it weirdly. I was saying I have I have literally wrote it down like this, like half asleep. I'm sorry. But I said, uh, what are the types of outcomes you hope to see when you invite arts and cultural strategies into the practice of community development? So I feel like that's a broad, open question. And, oh, and take it anywhere you want. Yeah, no, I love that because that's that's the type of outcome that I want to see. I want to be surprised. There's stuff out there that I don't know. I mean, like as we've learned through the course of this conversation, most of it, I don't know, you know? I am not the authority on any of this. I am an artist stumbling yeah. through the 
world, you know, <laughs> <laughs> reporting to discover anything. Oh, no, no. I mean, it's new to me, but this has been perpetuating for years and people have been doing the work for eons. And here I am hopping in and hopping on and I'm excited to engage with this and learn from it and to collaborate. Like, that's what I want to see. I want to see what other people have to say. I want the people to actually have a platform to share their stories. I want us to learn from one another. I want this exchange to be healthy. I want it to be nurtured and continuous and sustainable and regenerative. You know, yeah. I want the people to have a voice and to share it. I want that to be real. I want this to be a democracy for the people to actually use their voices. And what's more, for us to band our voices together and realize the collective power of that. The government has to listen to us. And so if that takes infiltrating and if that takes shaping these policies over the long term and playing the long game, we know they've been doing that for so long. So yeah, let's get it together. Let's see what wonderful new works are emerging within our communities. Let's let them tell us. That's what I want to see happen. I want us to platform these artists and I want our artists to show us and they can imagine what comes next. It's certainly going to be better than anything I as an individual can come out with. And I just asked for the privilege of witnessing that. I mean, talk about privilege, right? Here yeah. I am. I exist here in this arts center, right? Nashville. Yeah. On the world stage. We have a reputation. We built it on the backs of artists. We should be good to our name and we should be good to our artists. And who knows? Who knows what we get out of that? That's the point. It's not going to be the same old thing because we know the same old thing isn't working. Yeah. And you know, actually, and I have a thing. This is like, I, this, this is kind of a, like a roundabout question, but I, I'm going to get to kind of like what you're, you know, when you're talking about like a lot of this is policy. But I, I have like a personal kind of stake in this. And it's just that like, I personally had felt like, sometimes I just feel like I'm done with certain things. Like I think I'll feel, I'm like, I'm done with music or I'm done. And I was like, you know, I'm done uh, with uh, visual art. And I was just like, I don't really want to like create this anymore. It's not like really something I feel like doing. But then just recently I was like, you know what? Now I don't feel like I can, I can live without doing it. I got to do this. And, <laughs> and, you, and you know, my, some of my homies uh, for sure, you know, Dominic Baker and, oh, yeah. and you know, coffee may. And for anybody listening, if, if you haven't been listening to this podcast for a long time, you can actually, you can parasocially meet both those guys by going back to episode 10 for Dominic Baker and episode 21 for coffee may coffee may is a, a photorealist painter. Dominic's a little like rock star dude who also does some really cool painting shit. But, you know, they're out here and like they're getting like gallery shows now and like people are like recognizing their art and stuff. And I'm competitive with my friends. And those are two of my best friends in the world. And I'm like, no, nah, I mean, I, I want I want to be the, I want to be in this game. If this this is what we're doing now. I want to do this, too. I, I get very inspired by the by the homies. Oh, yeah. uh, so so look out, everybody like I'm going to be busting it back out on the scene, too. Uh, but that's like, you know, that's the fun part. That's the create the art part. But what I'm curious about is. How can someone like me, you know, and people listening to like, how can some, how can like just regular folks like us, you know, aside from like creating our art, which is, you know, which in itself is an act of creation, rebellion, uh, and also building and, and construction. But what can I do as an individual that would affect policy that would make things change would make uh, that I can help uh, with some of these communities or how I can help with like 
getting the government to listen. All, all the things that you're trying to do, all the reasons you're going right. to these metro council meetings, you know, putting up with these suits and this bureaucracy, and it doesn't sound like it's that fun, but you're doing it anyway. Like, I feel like I'm really rambling here because I don't know how to, I don't know how to ask my question. It's just, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, guide me, I guess. <laughs> Does that make sense? Oh, right. And that's what I'm asking people to do for me, right? We all just, we're, we're all just calling each other in here. And that's what we need to do is actually band together. We need to actually use our voices. It's so easy to talk about it. We got to walk the walk, right? Yeah. And we got to go speak the truth to the power. We got to actually do these things that it's easier not to. I mean, it could be easier not to, but that has shown to be well, not really livable, not really practicable because yeah, there's a reason why the middle class is disappearing. There's a reason why the wealth is being consolidated again and again and again, not just with this ruling class, not just reinforcing the white supremacist policies, but within the arts community itself, you know, we fund very often from the top down, these larger nonprofits um, yeah. tend to dictate the conversation, you know, and they'll, they'll fund some of the smaller groups, you know, and minority communities and special projects and get the credit for that, that benefits their name. And certainly, yeah. yes, it benefits those artists and communities as well, but all the more so when, the actual program is being generated from within the community and we empower those artists who are not usually center stage, who are not usually in the positions of power to see what comes out is always more interesting. And I think that individually, you know, going out to these council meetings, letting our faces be seen, letting our voices be heard, yeah, it, it sounds like no fun. It sounds like a slog. I, <laughs> you know, I mean, we got to get involved the whole thing. Yeah, you got to get involved. It's written by those who show up, you know. And so, yeah, encouraging one another. Make a party out of it. Get some of your friends together. The meeting that you're talking about where I spoke in front of the whole Metro Council, because I've been going to some of the commission, but that was a group of artists banded together and showed out to yeah. speak about investing in the arts here in Nashville. And we got notice, you know, we got the coverage. And, you know, as it turns out, the mayor did not listen to us when he put out his budget, but that's an outgoing mayor. Um, and we're appealing again to Metro Council right now. They have a chance to edit the budget. And we're asking, please right size our arts funding. It makes no sense. Yes, there are so many priorities, but yeah, we're just talking about 1% of the, entire budget and that's what we're we're pitching for and for right now you know we we doesn't look like we're, there's a way for us to get that but we're working towards it and we're asking our next mayor to commit to funding the arts equitably right we're going to have yeah. a mayoral forum where they're going to come out and tell us what their arts equity policies are and their restorative justice ideas and we're going to ask them we're going to hold them to it we're going to be vociferous we're going to support one another and link arms in this and like we hear about doing that a lot and you know there's been cases where it's worked i mean the civil rights movement had an important seat here in nashville right and we're this yeah, absolutely yeah. center. we have so much momentum here so 
to keep building on that, to keep encouraging one another, to keep getting out there, to keep saying it, to just be relentless, right? Like, we've got to use our voices. That's what we've got to do. It's, you know, the time when speaking can be action, you know, when you take those intentional opportunities to go say the words, make your feelings known you as a resident of an area that's being gentrified me as well right yeah sorry guys you heard it here first unity getting involved (laughs) doing the best to make it a party and make it fun i know for a fact you know like a lot of people that listen to this are probably artists that don't want to go you know they don't want to go get into a go to a government building and you know wait to talk to these stuff suits that don't seem like they have a single sense of humor, but you know what, if you, yeah, like you said, you know, try to make it fun, bring your friends, bring as many friends as you can, you know, and like, that's how things get done. Also, uh, Christine, I got to tell you something. Oh. You're getting dangerously close to the lightning round. Do you know oh, how the, cool. do, you, do you know how the lightning round works? I can tell you. Tell me. The lightning round is, this is the part of the podcast. It's kind of like a little bit of the game part of the podcast. It's where I ask you a bunch of questions super fast. You don't have any time to think. Uh, yeah. all gut reactions. Okay. Uh, okay. And I, I don't write the lightning rounds anymore. Like I, I haven't written one for like a long time. So these are written, these are written, uh, for me. So I don't even know what I'm about to read to you. I just, cool. I just pulled it up on my phone. This is the first time I'm ever looking at it. So, uh, are you ready to play? I have a feeling you're going to win. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this, uh, this lightning round was written by co-producer Colleen. It's called lightning round. Is it art? Or is it trash or something else? Oh, shit. Excuse <laughs> me. Do you know that I had a show called Trash Art Show? I did not know you had a show called Trash Art Show. Like, no, I, there's no winning here. But I mean, that's my thing is trash art. That's what I started out doing. And when I was <laughs> street kid in San Francisco, I mean, I would rearrange little bits of trash I found on the street into little sculptures just to like give people pause, <laughs> you know, kind of reshape their world. <laughs> I feel like also, you know, when you told me don't don't put you on the spot, co-producer oh, Colleen, she put more. you she put you on the spot on every single one of these questions. Some of these are Nashville centric, uh, but not all of them. So if you're not from here, obviously most people listening to this are not from here. You know, oh no. Well they'll, they'll, oh. some of these some of these things are kind of iconic though. Oh right. no. Oh let's, no. Let's, let's get into it. I don't want enlightening around this. <laughs> I wanna I wanna give like little <laughs> well, no, you, you you can you can freely say you can say anything you want. You're, this is this is your this is you're right. the guest. I'm just asking the lightning round, and you don't have to say it's trash or art. You can say, I think that's a very functional piece of <laughs> whatever. All right, here we go. First one. The <laughs> uh, just just for uh, context for people that don't live here, we have a a huge roundabout down by our uh, Music City Center. Uh, mm. sticking out of the roundabout are a bunch of like sticks it's called art and they're like big like <laughs> sticks that are all about like 50 feet tall so <clears throat> the tall stick statue thing at the roundabout on korean veterans boulevard is it art or is it trash so controversial look at you right <laughs> out here's where you find out i'm a softie i love that I you love that really they remind me of pickup sticks they give they remind me, me of pickup sticks that's exactly what it reminded me of Okay. I, I, I personally, that is my sensibility. Yeah, it looks a bit like trash that someone's made art with. That's exciting. 
it does look like somebody took a bunch of like industrial trash and stuck it in the ground and like painted it. Okay, cool. It's art, guys. You heard it. Korean Veterans Boulevard Roundabout. If you're ever in town, visit it. Christine says it's art. All right. This one, this actually is controversial for from like five different standpoints. Um, mm. The naked people statue at the roundabout on Music Row. So what I'm going to say is my ex-husband, who is dead, Craig Smith, <laughs> yeah, once rallied a group to go put a giant inflatable penis inside the ring at the top of Musica. And that was art. That... Okay, that is a great answer. Uh, I will say, can I do you mind if I say uh, one thing about your your ex husband Craig Smith because I know him as well. Uh, Other than he once did half an hour of comedy suspended by meat hooks at Springwater. Oh my god! Oh my god! That sounds (laughs) horrifying. He's the kind of dude. Well, so here's the thing: when I was much younger, he used to kind of pick on me uh, a little bit, like and kind of. (laughs) I wouldn't say he bullied me, but he kind of did a little bit because I was. uh, I worked at that. The, so Springwater is this bar in Nashville, and it was connected to this barbecue restaurant called Hog Heaven. And Hog oh, Heaven was realize. Hog Heaven was my very first job, and I was like fourteen or fifteen. And I would go out back and like try to try to like hang out with the older, cooler kids, and he, like, trying to get them to give me cigarettes and stuff. And uh, Craig would be out there sometimes, and he would always. He'd always pick on me, and you know, I think you know, I think he wasn't a mean spirited guy about it, but you know, I was always, I was a little afraid of him because he was bigger than me. And then I didn't see him for years. And then I uh, had a job as a bar back at a uh, at a bar that was near there where he was working, and he was like, he was kind of a, a regular. And he came in and he saw me and he hadn't seen me in so long. And I'd been like grown up, I'd lifted a lot of weights, and he went, "Holy shit!" And he's like, he's like, I can't believe I used to pick on you, man. He's like, you look like you've been in prison. And he and then he changed and he gave me a new nickname and my new na- nickname was Prison Hard Doug, which was Aww. what he what he called me every time he saw me after that. So that is my story of <laughs> of pretty much how I've what little relationship I had with that guy. But anyway, I thought I thought I that was bring back- no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a nice a, a nice story from like getting picked on to getting respected and getting called Prison Hard Doug. All right, moving on. <laughs> this one's this one's uh, controversial as well. The Wings mural in the Gulch. For uh, for people that don't know, this is a tourist thing where people come to Nashville and they take a photograph of themselves between this painting of butterfly wings. Mm. Is it art or is it trash? It's a photo op. It's a fo- <laughs> It's neither. It's it's photo. It's a photo op. Okay, we'll yeah. just call it that. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> Uh, okay. Oh, I have an opinion about this one though. I don't know when's the last time you've been to Pizza Perfect, but the pizza oh. wi- the pizza wings mural by Pizza Perfect. It's a yeah, play. On- <laughs> I'm into it. I just walked by Pizza Perfect the other day. Yeah, I, th- I think that the pizza wings mural is totally art, but it's not about me. It's about, it's about you. I'm sorry. No, I, I shouldn't be throwing my opinions in here. I, I mean, I love when people riff on something else. That's <laughs> all art has ever been anyway, is yeah. just riffing to, yeah, ad infinitum. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I love the humor. I think it's good when we're not too self-serious. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think art, I there's a bit of satire in there, right? Social commentary. That's definitely art to me. We're, we're 
furthering the conversation in some sort of way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is you know what? I'm just gonna throw it out there. The dragon in Dragon Park. Oh, that's art. That's collaborative yeah. community art. I love. It's an institution. Are you kidding? That was my prom after party. Was that dragon? <laughs> so, that was that was my the... my delight. Yeah, that is. Uh, I will. I'll go on a, on a limb here and say that is the to me the most iconic and probably most important piece of public art in the city, hands down. And I'll never feel differently about that. Yeah. No, it's <clears> classic. <throat> Are you kidding? That's so, that's our spirit. That's our character. So many memories built around that. Such a reference point, a touchstone. I mean, it's become, yeah, so much larger than the larger than life installation it already was. Yeah. It's full. Yeah. So many firsts have happened by that track. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So many have touched it. This is, I guess this is controversial. Mount Rushmore. We're just leaving Nashville. We're just going oh, up to wherever trash. the fuck that is. Excuse trash. me. Trash. Total <laughs> trash. That was a sacred mountain that was yeah. defaced. Is that in South Dakota? I don't. I actually don't know where that is. It's Dakota. Is it north? The, the, here's the weird thing about me. All that road tripping I did, I have not been to either of the Dakotas. Is it because there isn't a highway that cuts through there? I don't know. But those are the only contiguous states I haven't touched yet. Oh, you're fine. You don't have to go there. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to anyone in South or North Dakota listening to the, the <laughs> podcast. I'm just kidding. Uh, they got that big old got motorcycle big rally. <laughs> okay. Uh, dumpster graffiti. Oh, I love it. That's now you're in my heart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. It's, it's a dumpster. Let, let, me draw, let me draw on it. It's All right. to be less. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things to photograph is the art that people make of dumpsters. And train cars. We were talking about hopping trains. Earlier. Yeah, I yeah, I love train graffiti. Yeah, exactly. Exciting when you remove the rules, but you're still having to operate within those constraints. How ah liberating. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Cars that have like 45 bumper stickers on the back of them. Is that art or is that trash? Is it trashy <laughs> art? <laughs> I, it's self-expression. What do the bumper stickers say? Well, that's the thing is they could say a lot <laughs> of different things. They could say like, they could be the ones where it's like a picture of an AK-47 and yeah. like and like the Punisher skull with a thin blue line through it and, you know. We're, yeah, we're going to call it it's decor. It's decor. It could be yeah. to an art form, but I would have to see the individual example. Yeah. Yeah, when like, when all your bumper stickers are saying that like, hey, I have a bunch of guns in my car and I want to kill you. Oh. That's it's decor. <laughs> it's not <laughs> <laughs> okay. Last one. I feel like this might be the this has been this has been debated for years, possibly my entire life. The painting of the dogs playing poker and smoking cigars. Is it art or is it trash? Yeah, here's where the conversation is like <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's it's, I guess theoretically it's art. It's not my taste. I'm not going to call it <laughs> the case where it's a cultural touchstone. It's an institution. How about that? <laughs> yeah, okay. I I wouldn't. I, I'm, I apologize if I'm not able to come down cleanly on either side. But you don't. Yeah, yeah it's well, that's the... how are we supposed to be clean? It's not my taste. Do I think that it has artistic relevance well it has furthered a conversation in some way shape or form 
Yeah. <laughs> I love the <laughs> better, you know, the remixes. Let's yeah. do that. Remix. <laughs> yeah. You know, reference point. I mean, the fact that we can't really define it, doesn't that just mean it is art? I don't know. The world may never right. know. <laughs> Where I lean heavily on it's not my taste and I wouldn't call it trash. That by necessity means it's art, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. clearly it is. Clearly it's art, you know, and people like to call things that aren't their taste trash, you know. But to me, trash would be something that, you know, takes away value from what's around it and doesn't have anything to offer back. But then we just recycle it and it becomes fertilizer or, you know, fresh raw materials or whatever. <laughs> be something to rebel against. You know, it's all inspiration <laughs> if you're willing. Christine, I've got great news. You won the lightning round. Oh, okay. Uh, but I have to tell you, I have one last question for you. It's the most important question of the day. And it is just... Uh, where can people like check you out, check out your art, uh, anything that anything else that you would like them to be aware of? Uh, maybe like anything like poetry in the brew, if that's still happening. I, I think you just said that you're no longer hosting or are you? I don't know. Um, oh, no, basically, uh, everything. Pl sure. plug, plug it all. Plug it all. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I had a bit of a changing of the guard last November. We um, had moved out of Studio 66, which was a gallery I was curating in the downtown arcade. And then that got sold. And so we moved out of that gallery and I was hosting for eight years, the poetry and the brew spoken word open mic over at Portland Brew East. So I turned that space over to Silence Wordsmith who has renamed it Writer's Wart. That still happens on the second Saturday of the month for anybody who's looking for a chance in Nashville to get out and project your voice to experiment and practice using it I think that's a great you know training grounds for what comes next and yeah for me what came next was moving into this arts advocacy so first going through that public grants editing process and introducing a category for micro organizations and allowing an easier application process for grants and a greater percentage of their costs to be covered. Um, and so from there, got into organizing some of the other artists who wanted to see more equitable investments in the arts here in Nashville. And so, yeah, we're trying to convince Metro Council to give us more funding. We hopefully appreciate that they do that. And our eventual goal is to get that to be 1% of the Nashville budget. I mentioned before we have like one sixth of 1%. Um, yeah, it's it's just crazy underinvested. And so we're holding the forum for the mayoral candidates. We've got 10 of them participating. They're all invited June 14th, Nashville Children's Theater. We've got a website that gives you examples of how we can bring all these artists and these arts organizations together and make these requests. There's a section for the community requests. There's a section for the candidate statements. 
artsequitynashville.org. You can find me on Instagram at Exine Raquel, X-I-N-E-R-A-Q-U-E-L. And I put out some of my own stuff there. I'm on YouTube. I'm on Facebook. You can find me and chat at me. I love collaborations. And yeah, right now I am all about each of us individually lifting up our voices, lifting up each other's voices, banding our voices together to be heard and to really demand that representation in our government, in our entertainment and out there on our streets. And we've got to get out and actually do it. And I know, you know, we're all still just kind of emerging from our shells in a lot of ways, but it's the time we have an opportunity, like not just here in Nashville as a microcosm, but on the global stage, we are so ripe for change. And we've just really got to organize and get it together because we have, you know, this, truly vocal minority right now in the ruling class, but all of the minorities banding together make up the actual majority. And for each of us to have representation, it's beneficial. And I like, I really believe in this stuff. I really want to see it happen. I've been here in Nashville for over 20 years, watching it wake up, wondering why we're not doing more conscientious planning to reap the benefits of having such a rich culture to reinvest you know to keep realizing that so yeah hey we have a chance not just here in nashville not just in america in the world you know as each new generation comes up to make our mark to do it one turn better it's a responsibility and a joy so yeah yeah, it's hard work it is but we've got each other's backs and that's the point so reach out you know thank you so much christine and also so awesome to see you again and uh um thanks for being on the podcast today (laughs) (laughs) have i not seen you since that party at my house in the aughts i don't think you've seen me in at least at least 15 years yeah i mean i i think (laughs) wow that's amazing like i saw coffee when he did the stations of the cross i was mary and Dominic, you know, he and I went to high school together. We were in the same commercial yeah. class, and there's that photo of us getting that award together. But I've always seen him around and kept up with what he's doing. But yeah, it's fun to have our circles intersect directly again. Really grateful for this time with you, and thanks for the conversation. That's, uh, that's yeah. That's one of the things that I was saying right before we started recording is the uh, yeah, like our paths intersect so much, but we're so often just ships in the night. I don't ever. This is the first conversation we've had in years and years and years and years even though you're like you know right here in the same city so hopefully i will talk to you again soon and we'll get some of this uh we'll get some of this mobilization happening and i'll have some cool art to come show you <laughs> oh, and I can't wait to watch you being a dad bringing your baby up congrats I'm thank you so, so much <laughs> yeah well that sounds cool that you're doing that at the uh children's theater i plan on spending many 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 days in that theater in the future so Yes, 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 exactly. The overall enrichment. So you got to soak it up and share it and pass it on. And yeah, we're all just trying to, yeah, infuse and do one turn better. And yes, yes, yes. Do that. Do that with the next generation. I trust you to do that. You're good for it. Thank you, Christine. Thank you, Doug.